money. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma and I take refuge in the Sangha. That means all of you. So I think just about everyone in this room will be in Rohatsu starting this evening. There are people online joining us. Thank you for tuning in. So it's a particularly eventful Sunday and many of you may be feeling that energy of excitement or nervousness as we're about to dive into another session. And know that you share that with the room, that it's not just yours, but it's the collective energy of enthusiasm and perhaps a little bit of fear about sitting for so long and facing our minds. So let's take a moment actually and just feel into the space of the room. It's really easy when I'm nervous to just have it be my own personal experience and keep that within my small sphere. Just open up to the room and acknowledge all the people that you'll be sitting with this week. All the people that will have really beautiful experiences, really scary experiences. All the people you'll be tired and excited with in silence through the week. Because this is how we'll be connecting during Rohatsu. We won't be looking at each other, speaking with each other, but really just being open to the room and knowing that we're all doing it together. If you don't know how to open to the room, then coming into your own body to start, coming into the sensations of the abdomen and the heart, and it can be subtle, but just letting those spaces relax and open. This can be a physical experience of the space of the heart, the physical space of the heart relaxing, opening. And there can be a quality of allowing that space to merge with the room. Well, you often hear this, but it can be so easy to forget that whatever we're experiencing has been experienced hundreds, thousands, countless times by other people. People have been practicing this particular session that we're about to do hundreds, thousands of times, and they will, will go through all the same things.
So let that rest in your heart, that this is not a personal experience. It's bigger than that. So we've been embedded in Ango practice period here at the monastery. This involves um, a much more intensive sitting schedule and a lot more silence. We started it off with a 10-day session, which is kind of a powerful way to dive right in to practice, sitting for 10 full days of a very rigorous schedule. And Rohatsu feels like the culmination of Ango. We're going to dive into this um, session that is being practiced all over the world and many of us with the intention of really throwing everything we've got into it. But I think it's important to remember that actually how we culminate Ango here at the monastery is with the beginner's mind retreat a week later. So we have all this bravado and maybe um, a little bit of arrogance is almost necessary to kind of dive into Rohatsu, like, yes, I can actually do this. Whatever other voices I have, yes, I can. Um, and we put everything we've got into it and then we see what's left and the energy that we've poured into that practice can then be offered out into the beginner's mind retreat. So it's a week later, we'll have this room full that I think 40 people are signed up um, of people who have never been here before and are just starting to explore practice. So we pour our energy back out into that offering as a way of culminating the Ango practice period. And as a way of recognizing that all of us are beginners, that we have this little tiny human life of however long it's going to be, if we're lucky, 80 years, 90 years. And within the expanse of the cosmos, we can know almost nothing and we're all beginners. So we end on go by coming back to that acknowledgement. And today I'm going to, on kind of a <laughs> very different note. I'm going to talk about the beginner's mind of two beautiful and wonderful beings that came into my life many years ago in the form of two baby goats. One of them named Gloria, not Gloria Esteban, but Gloria the goat, who we named after Gloria Esteban because of the song, I Will Survive. So many years ago, I uh, spent a couple months at a goat dairy in Southern Oregon. And that's where I met these two bodhisattva goats. They both came into the world in ill health. Gloria's mom died in childbirth and all of her siblings also died in that process. And so we really didn't think Gloria would make it. Um, and then Pancake was another goat that we took in. Um, we swaddled them and 
blankets and nestled them in straw and put them next to a fire in a little indoor space that we made for them. And for the next three weeks, I um, bottle fed them. I can't even remember. It feels like a million times a day, but I think they need a lot of food just like at little bits at a time, maybe four, five, six, I don't know. And it took a lot of work to get them to actually feed from the bottle, but it was very satisfying when they did and they learned to, we would watch movies and they'd fall asleep on my lap. Pancake was more or less true to her name and um, personality and in stature. She was long and thin and not particularly interesting. She was very much just a goat. <laughs> but somehow I still dream of Gloria. She was much more than a goat, which I know that everybody says about their pet, <laughs> maybe about their dog. <laughs> um, but she was a very beloved animal in just this very short time that I spent with her. And there's something really um, easy about taking care of animals. It's not the same, at least I often feel like human relations can get very tangled quickly, but animals it's just maybe physically demanding to work on a goat dairy, but very straightforward kind of care, and you can really expect the same response from your animal every time you greet them or that animal. So before I had arrived at the goat dairy, I had been traveling for at least four or five months up and down the California coast and into Arizona. And in that process of traveling, it was so just like, what do I need? Can I spend money? Where am I going to stay? What am I going to eat? Just very much like I had to be really involved in my own process of life. And so getting to the goat dairy and just working really hard and taking care of these baby goats was very satisfying of just like truly being able to offer myself to other people and truly being able to drop all of that concern about my own being. So such was the teaching of Gloria and Pancake. I learned about generosity beyond generosity. Like I wasn't actually thinking about it. I would just jump out of bed in the morning and get the bottles ready and get out there and start working, which was very much not my usual morning manner. And it was a great joy to feel this new sense of connection and purpose beyond my small worries. The second teaching from my bodhisattva goat teachers was how they responded to the fireplace that we had set up for them. It was cold outside. It's kind of in the mountains in Oregon. So there was snow on the ground. And while the other goats were in a pretty open barn, so flurries flying in, um, Gloria and Pancake spent much of their time basking in front of the warm fireplace. And it was very interesting to watch how they clinged to that comfort. Even in the days leading up to their release back out with the other goats when their health was good, they would lay by the fireplace panting and unmoving as though they knew that soon the added warmth would be taken away. And this is the image that has stuck with me the most when I think about my time at the goat dairy because of how relatable it is, how much I have done that 
how much time I've spent planning and organizing my life so that I can hold on to comfort to the degree that I'm actually uncomfortable in that holding. Like they were clearly too hot, but they just like loved the fireplace too much that they wouldn't move. Being stingy or fearful or protective of our own desires doesn't actually feel good, but through fear we keep holding. We have a deep desire to be comfortable. A deep and illogical desire. So deep and so strong that we endure great discomfort for the sake of comfort. Like I have an, one example is, and I think I'm thinking of this because Sotan is sitting here, but I would often wear so many layers to the zendo because I would be so afraid of being cold that I would just sweat the whole time. <laughs> Maybe that's why I relate to these goats so much, but it was just like the fear of cold was so great that I would be deeply uncomfortably hot instead, <laughs> which I think I preferred maybe. <laughs> we endure great discomfort for the sake of comfort. You can take a minute to consider whether you have any examples of this in your own life. The goats would lay there panting, such was the strength of their desire to not be cold, to avoid the discomfort of cold. How much unhappiness am I willing to endure for the sake of comfort? Maybe think about whether that is realistic or happens to you in your life. And I'm not just talking about physical discomfort, but also maybe more so emotional discomfort. Some examples I thought of, I'd rather be lonely than risk the deeply uncomfortable experience of feeling rejected. I'd rather not try new things than risk the discomfort of failing I would rather play on my cell phone or watch Netflix or find some way to not face my mind because facing my mind is deeply uncomfortable. Or I would rather remain comfortably within social norms with a job, a family, a house, than risk the discomfort of being outside of that safe bubble of acceptance. Do any of these feel true for anyone? Yes. Good, thank you. I was like... <laughs> thank you. And we all have our particular formulation of fears around comfort. Another personal example I have is from 
actually at Grasses and Trees many years ago that um, Chosen was leading. Uh, every night we were instructed to spend the evening zazen block deep in the woods. So I would load up my arms with blankets and tarps and a mosquito hat, lots of layers, and set out. One evening when returning, I was walking by a few people cleaning up Chosen's sanzen line. So she does sanzen way out under a tree in the field during grasses and trees. And I wanted to help, but couldn't because I was carrying so much of my own luggage out. And so much of that was just a product of my fear of being uncomfortable in the woods. And so I had no way to support the other people who would have benefited from my help. And this felt like a demonstration of my mind. I was spending so much time planning and um, aware of my own personal concerns that I really didn't have space to help other people. Part of the Bodhisattva vow is to set down this burden of fear around our own well-being. And we kind of, um, especially in, within this modern world of great comforts, at least, I mean, a heated floor and lights and all the goodies that we have here, we can um, do this carefully and experiment with it. We don't have to let go of everything at once, but just kind of watch what happens when we let go of personal concern and really step forward into serving others and just experiment with how that goes and how it makes us and other people feel. You can just see what else is present when we set down this heavy load of personal concern. See what else is there. When it was time for Gloria and Pancake to move along, when their health was clearly good and they had started to tear up their indoor shelter, we plunked them back down with the other growing and rowdy group of baby goats in the barn. <clears throat> now, as I said, it was March and it was snowing. So you call baby goats kids. So the other kids were fine in the weather and seemed to be enjoying themselves, never having guessed at the pleasures of a wood stove. And Pancake, being just a goat, was pretty much fine. <laughs> Gloria, who had much more delicate sensibilities and seemed somewhat aghast at where she had suddenly found herself, stood with her back arched and her little legs pressed together and just stood there. <laughs> and we gave her this kind of ridiculous little red coat. <laughs> And she would just stand there and bleat miserably. This was when I decided I couldn't be a farmer because, you know, you should, it's actually easier if you just leave the goat and let her adjust. But I would um, often pick her up and stuff her into my coveralls, the front part, her little legs sticking out on either side. 
And she would fall to sleep immediately and just be in heaven in the warmth of that space. So it didn't actually take her too long to adjust. And I noticed that she was actually very good at, it was a, maybe 20 or 30 kids in this barn space and she would find a way to be directly in the very center of the pile <laughs> during nap time and sleep. So we have very large capacities. Gloria didn't believe she could live a life outside in the barn. And it was a difficult transition. But she was quickly playing and roaming with the pack and actually, of course, much happier as a goat outside. We have very large capacities. We know this when we sign up to do Sashin, or we sign up to live at the monastery or practice ongo. Part of us might be complaining and worrying about the cold and the hours and the lack of sleep. That's just part of us, no problem. We sign up to do Sashin anyway. We voluntarily step out of our comfort zone. Shakyamuni Buddha stepped out of his palace, stepped out of his life as a prince, sat down under a tree, sat down on the bare earth with insects, animals, and weather swirling around him, and that's where he found freedom. That freedom that over 2,000 years later we're still tasting. that light that is still shining brightly. We are still enjoying the fruits of his intentions. This week during Rohatsu Sashin, we'll dream into the awakening story of Shakyamuni Buddha. Particularly in this modern age with inc the incredible expanse of comforts offered to us, Many of us are stepping out of our palace. It is a palace to live in a warm house with endless Wi-Fi and supermarkets full of internationally sourced goods. We come here and we live in the dorms. We give up sleep, we give up our choosing our schedule. And it's not just about enduring comfort or enduring discomfort. It's about expanding our capacity to be comfortable in wider and wider arena, arenas of experience. This isn't an endurance challenge, although it often feels like that. We come to know the place where we're satisfied with whatever is happening. In the early morning, you might be cold and tired and hungry and satisfied. 
a satisfaction that isn't dependent on conditions. I think that's harder to come by when we are pretty much stuffed full of material comforts. It's often when we lose the things that we held so dear to us that can we, we can see that our happiness wasn't dependent on them in the first place. But it takes the losing of them often. So like a snake in a bamboo tube, we fit ourselves into the container of sashin. As I said, rohatsu is practiced around the world at this time of year. In the US and Japan, the Buddha's awakening falls every year on December 8th. In China, following the lunar calendar, the day is celebrated sometime in January. For many Zen communities and practitioners, this may be the only session they practice in the year. And although at Great Vow, we attend session every month, this one has a particularly special flavor. The end of the practice year is coming, so you can sort of look back at your year and take stock. The end of Ongo is coming. Our Roshis, who almost never teach together, will be steering the ship. So we have 40-something people joining us this afternoon. Many of them are coming because it's Rohatsu Sashin. Many of them are coming because Chosen and Hogan are leading this Sashin. All of them are experiencing the same things that we're experiencing, the nervousness and excitement. And it's time for all of us to dive in, to acknowledge our fear of discomfort and do this anyway. We are going to do it anyway. Like I said, almost all of you in this room are already signed up. <laughs> Nervousness, excitement, aversion, and all, everything is invited. Hogan Roshanoff Hogan Roshi often asks me, what's the worst that could happen? And I asked this at dinner last night, and we didn't really come up with anything all that coherent. But there is something there. What's the worst that could happen? This feeling that we'll dive in and fall apart and not be able to get it all back together again. That was the main thing that people said, going crazy. And what does falling apart look like? It's uncomfortable, <laughs> perhaps. It's uncomfortable to feel like we don't have it all together. We don't have our ducks in a row, especially when our ducks are being disorderly in front of other people. But what's the worst that can happen? It's helpful to ask this and just acknowledge all those voices that are present. And important to be kind and open about whatever answer comes forward. 
we're not asking this so that we can just get rid of the answer and say, oh, that's silly. Like really look at it. It's a voice in there that wants to be heard. If I let go too much, I will go crazy and be rejected from the community. We have all sort of, all kinds of things might come forward. And they're sincere. And they'll respond better with kindness. During this Ruhatsu, please give yourself permission to fall apart, to let it all go. Maybe we'll all end up rolling around on the floor speaking in tongues, but I doubt it. <laughs> We don't know if there'll be another opportunity to do this. It's with great privilege that we sit here in this room with heated floors and light and a wholesome community, a community of people excited about practice. We have lively and bright teachers still able to offer their energy to this container. Will it be like this next month, next year, next summer, next Rohatsu? I think this community feels um, particularly intimate with old age sickness and death and impermanence, given that we really don't know how long Hogan and Chosen will continue to teach. Practice with them this week like it might be your last chance. Go into Sanzen like it might be your last Sanzen. And don't worry about what other people's experience is. Open your heart to them. with a full big leap with both feet. Leap into your zazen. Dive into your practice and let it swallow you whole.